Well, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians. Notice I got a mic here, and so if if I start moving around, somebody say, "Preacher, get back in the box," because we had some technical difficulty. I'm using a this type of mic this morning. It's going to be fine. You know, we're we're all busy, <laughs> and a lot of us are sick. <laughs> The last couple weeks, I'm glad you're here. In an effort to try to help busyness, we wanted to just sort of make an audible as as a leadership team. And we had a membership meeting scheduled for next week. We normally meet at membership meetings at 4 o'clock. You see that on your info guide. We want to do that right after worship. So we want to take a break from worship and go out and talk to each other. Come back and just have a members meeting then just to try to help your life not be quite as busy and to have to come back out. And, and so we want to do that. We'll mention it again uh, next week. So just wanted to tell you that. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. We've been looking at community. Taking a break from our exposition of Psalms. Find ourselves at Ephesians 4 this morning. Looking at verses 17 to 32. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Reminding ourselves every week. That this is a letter that was inspired by God that was written to the church. And to the church, Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So God, as we come and we pray to you, we are reminded we can pray to you because of the person and the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, what good news today that you have given us, that we have already been singing about already, that I am no longer identified or defined 
by my failures in this life, and there are many, God. And praise God, I'm not defined and identified by my successes. You've identified me through your Son, and for that, your church has gathered today to be grateful and to worship you for it. So, Lord, teach us from this word who we are as your church. Remind us of who we were. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of what should motivate us to be like your son today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So remind yourself as we have all had a busy week, what have we have been studying? We looked at Acts, what the model should look like, Acts 2, 42 to 47, and then we began to get into Ephesians because Ephesians gets into what we believe and then how we should live as a response to what we believe. So we've been looking at that. So in Christ, we have been given a new identity. We've been singing about that. I could almost skip the first point and go to the second this morning, but I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm a preacher. <laughs> and uh, we've been singing the first point this morning. I hope you see that as we go through. You've been given a new identity. We are His children. Our identity is best defined by adoption. We are His children adopted into His family. And with this new identity, as a child, comes a new community we are His family. Everyone in this, we talked about this last week, everyone in this new family, this new community, this new humanity has, has encountered the extravagant grace of God. He's given us gifts, not for ourselves, but for His glory to build up the body that He has created. So everyone is given a gift. Everyone has stewards that gift for the good of each other. This is why we talked about last week, unity is important. I just got a question this morning. Because we are Westerners, we're Americans, we think individually. Do you see unity? Do you see your spiritual gifts? Do you see purity as gifts given to you and to me at our salvation? And that these gifts assumes even requires that we live in community with each other. I think that's what Scripture clearly teaches as He motivates the churches. So the main idea then is living in community requires Christ-like treatment of one another. So how do I motivate us? How do we motivate each other towards this? How do I begin to live this out in this busy, demanding Pull me in 20 directions world. Well, that's what we want to look at this morning. That's what the, he's directing us towards as he opens up this letter of Ephesians. It requires us to understand who we are in Christ. And then it requires us to respond to who we are in Christ by how we treat each other. I'm speaking internally as much as I can. Corporately is the application. It is the context of the text. So let's remember, living in community requires us to understand who we are in Christ. And to understand who we are in Christ, we have to remember who we were. And if you think about it, you're like, Stephen, he, Ephesians 4.17, he, he goes back. Hadn't he already said who we were in Ephesians 1? Didn't he remind us of that? He said, yes. How about Ephesians 2? Didn't he remind us of who we were? Outside of Christ. Yes. Why does he keep repeating it? 
Because we need it repeated. We need the gospel reminded of ourselves. When Christ forgives you, He does not call you to forget who you were. He doesn't. We need to remember who we were. That's what He's saying. There's plenty of little old us's around us in this culture. That's what He's doing. Look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Who are the Gentiles? They are the lost people. They are the culture that they are surrounded by. It's where they live everyday life. A couple of words here, really important. See the word testify? If you've got an ESV, that's what it says. That's the word we get the word martyr from. It means to bear witness. Martyrdom doesn't mean, did not mean initially to die for your faith. It meant to testify to your faith. To be a witness to. That's what he's saying. I testify in the Lord. Jesus is his authority. Now, this is important. You see the you there? Just all through it. That you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. Somebody talk to me. Is that you singular or plural? It's plural. He's speaking to the church. So this demands of you this morning something that is hard for us, and I know it is, to stop thinking individually all the time and to think corporately. You have been brought into a family. And everything we do affects every, every, each other. So he's not given us this moral list that me and you need to work on next week. That's not how he motivates us. It's not. He's reminding us of something. He's saying, look around you. Just look at the people around you and notice the futility of their life. Just look. Just this week, I dare you. Remember who you were by looking out at the worldview of the world around you and see that they have bought into the lie that says I can actually achieve pleasure and that knowledge will bring me fulfillment. Either extreme ends up in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, I had the money and the ability to pursue all of it, and it was worth nothing. I got to the end of my life and was holding a bag with a hole in it. He's saying, you need to remember that that was you. Verse 18 says, they were, are darkened in their, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Do you see the plurality? You, the church, them, the lost, the Gentiles, those that are not in the body of Christ. Look at some of the words here. Darkened, alienated, ignorant, hardness. These were words that described me and you at one point in time. We could look at every one of these words, and we have and we will, but it's best seen in Ephesians 2, chapter 1. We know that verse by saying this is how... Put it in a nutshell. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what we must remember to motivate us as people, as a community. We must call ourselves to remember. Do you remember one time you were dead? Dead is being described here. You were dead to the life that's in God. That's why all your pleasure seeking and all your knowledge attaining and all your degrees and all of your bank accounts did not make anything. It did not equate to any sufficiency, any joy in your life. Why? Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Look at verse 19. It says, we once lived for ourselves. It says, they have become callous and given them, look, this is important, they have given themselves up to sensuality and greed. 
When you hear that, you need to hear Romans 1. We're not going to go there. They've given themselves up. That's one, that was you. They've given themselves up to impurity. That's what living for yourself is. Put anything in its place. Whether it's immorality or your career. It's impurity to live for yourself. No matter what you fill in the blank with. That's, that's who we once were. But now we remember who we are. And the translators want to help us. Look at verse 20. You see the exclamation point? Trying to say he's getting excited right here. He's saying, that's who you were. But this is who you are. This is not how you... Look at this. appears nowhere else in Scripture. You learned Christ. Use plural, remember. That's not the way you, the church, the community of faith, learned Christ. You see, normally learning is about content. You, you learn the material that you're studying. You learn a behavior. You might learn a lifestyle. You might learn math. You, here's what he's saying. The object and the substance of our learning is Christ Himself. It's not these moral behaviors. It's firstly and chiefly knowing Christ. Philippians 3.10 You see the natural impact and effect of knowing Christ. Paul says that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see how his actions are immediately affected by who he knows. He's not worried about chasing the American dream. He's worried about sharing the sufferings of Jesus Christ in his actual life. So learning Christ, what is that? It means welcoming him as a living person, and then being shaped by him, then by his teaching, then by what he says. In other words... We encounter Christ, and then we follow Christ. He gives a conditional sentence that is important for us this morning. In verse 21, sort of an if-then, the Bible gives us a lot of these. It says, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. You see, we're taught is passive. Being we're taught is happening to you. You see, Jesus is not only the subject matter, He is the teacher. This is why Christ is our all in all. This is why there is no joy and happiness in this life outside of Him. He is the subject that we study, and He is the one who must teach us. So what did He teach us? Look at verse 22 and 24. It says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23 and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, verse 24, and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I just want you to see so much here. I just want you to see three phrases. Except one word, each one. To put off, verse 22. To be renewed, verse 23. To put on. Now I can't go nerdy this morning with the language. If you want to study it, I... I would, but to put on and to put off here are functioning in the sentence as nouns, not, not verbs. They're verbs functioning as nouns. That's important. What he's trying to get first things first this morning. Because here's what we're all trying to do, and I'm the worst at it this morning, and I, and I, I admit it. If I see somebody in sin, you know what I want them to do? 
Stop it. Just, just stop it. Stop doing that. You ought to put that off. You ought to put this on. Just, just stop it. Hold on a second. Here's what he's saying. This is describing something that has happened to us. Turn with me to Galatians 3. Did you just see this? There's a few texts here. They're all connected together. Galatians 3. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have what? Put on Christ. As many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's something that happens to a person when God saves their soul. He puts Christ on them. And it is not my job nor yours to put Christ on anybody. That is His work and His work alone. And brothers and sisters in the church, that's good news this morning. It's good news. We preach the Word. We sing the Word. But Christ must bring something to bear. He must make them new. This is a picture that Jesus loved to paint. You remember, you come to the wedding feast and what did He give them? A garment covering. This is so clear in my mind. I wish you, I wish you could have been there or that you afford yourself someday to go into a country where there's an orphanage because I can remember it. I saw it. The long skinny room that's, that's covered with bunk beds. Some had mattresses on them and some didn't. Some of the kids just slept on slat boards. And at the end of the room, there was a wardrobe. It had a few pieces of clothes in it. You know what those clothes were for? It's when they wanted to take nice pictures. And so they would get the child and they'd put on the dress or the shirt. They'd take nice pictures and then they forced them to take Then they'd have to take it off. And then the other child would put it on. Listen, this is not what Christ has done for us. Our adopted father gave us new clothes, a new identity, a new home, and a new security, and then a new way to live. That's what Christ did when He saved your soul. That's good news. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from who? From God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Here's what He's saying. This is what Christ has put on you. Don't put on them old rags anymore. That's not who you are. You're my child. This is church. This is how we motivate people to obedience and faith. This is why we have a purpose statement. It tries to reflect what we see in Scripture. When we speak to believers, we say to believers that your purpose, if you're part of us, is to glorify God. And how we grow together in glorifying God is through Christ-exalting worship and growing in biblical community and going with the gospel to all peoples. This is a really good book if you haven't read it. It's called Community by Brad House. It's got a couple of good quotes in here. He said, first, we define ourselves in the same way God does by what Jesus has done on the cross. I will free you this morning to live for Him. Listen to what he says. My identity is not what I do. I do out of my identity. Let me say that again. My identity is not what I do. I do out of my identity. Worship, community, and mission 
kind of come out of who I am as a disciple of Jesus. He goes on to say, if they, if we have been transformed by the gospel, then it will show in the community life of the group. Your group reflects what you believe about your Jesus. Here he explains now. Okay, it's how you motivate people. Not with a list of do's and don'ts, but with who they were and now who they are in Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't motivate them, there's a problem. Living in community then to those who believe, to those that are in this community, looks like Christ-like treatment of each other. You see, this flows out of what we believe. He's got a therefore here that connects it to what he's just said. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here's what I, what I want you to see this morning. Then life together looks like something. We remind each other who we are, who we were, and now it begins to look like something actual, something that must be both cultivated and sometimes things we need to kill. I said that last week. Some of those old dead guys I like to read just call it mortification of sin. You need to kill it. God's put, Christ has put that off with the gospel. Then where, why is it here? It's our enemy. Here's what he says first. Life together cultivates honesty. You see, when you cultivate the positive, you're going to learn to hate the negative. There's a positive, there's a negative, there's a motivation in each one of these verses. It says, you speak the truth. That's present tense. We know this, don't we? Mutual trust is the foundation of life and community. It's the foundation for family. There's nothing that kills community more than deception. You know what lying is? We oftentimes say, I'm not lying. I, I'm just not telling all the whole story. I don't, I don't want to confront this issue, so I'm going to go around this issue. Whoops, getting out of my box. That's, that's lying. Did you hear what I said? To go around the truth is a lie. To not want to deal with things is to deceive people. It breaks trust. Our goal is to put on honesty, to cultivate what Christ has already put on. He is the truth. Why? Why? We are members of each other. Do you see it? It's a mystery to me, brothers and sisters, how... How we didn't think. Now let's go back into the marriage for a minute. What do you think that would happen if all of a sudden I changed my password and started hiding my phone? Do you not think a doubt of trust would go into my wife's mind? Why is he doing that for? Why would you ever do that? That's not part of who we are. In the life of the church, trust is critical. Also in the life of church, we must cultivate holy anger. Not my words. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Cultivate holy anger? I thought we were supposed to teach our kids that they're not ever supposed to hate. Yeah, that's why they don't hate their sin. You see? You don't love anything if you don't hate something. So he tells, 
As the church, there's things we're supposed to be angry about. Why? Because God hates idolatry. He hates it in His church. He hates spiritual adultery. He hates it when we steal from Him when He said everything belongs to Him anyway. So we cultivate these things as a body. If I sin against you, if I say something bad against Brent's character, he should get angry. It's what we do with this is, is what Christ is getting to here in, in the Scripture. It says be angry but don't sin. Did you really not get angry when you found out that New York passed a bill to kill babies in the third trimester? Could you really say you love children and not, not make you angry? It's not true. Here's what John Stott said. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not intolerant. Not tolerant. Angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, so should we. We should hate it when we see it in our community. But we should always, listen, this is important. We should always kill unholy anger. See, Paul's just quoting Psalms 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4, that says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. We're going to see this in a minute. This gets us in trouble a lot, doesn't it? Paul's warning here. Unholy anger is dangerous. So what's the difference? You say, if, say I attack Brent's character and he gets angry. Well, when does that become sin, you see? Not in me. I've already sinned, right? <laughs> I attacked his character. I've already sinned. I've, me and God's already got some problems here. But what about Brent, you see? When does it become sin in his life when he holds on to it? You see, that's when it becomes sin. That's why we motivate you with the gospel. If we hold on to it, there's an effect, you see. When, when we hold on to anger, it becomes unforgiveness. And unforgiveness always turns to bitterness. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, why is that so bad, Pastor? Well, look at verse 27. I can't get any more serious than, than Paul does here. He says, and give no opportunity to the devil. The danger of persistent anger... The danger of lying in our community is that the devil will exploit it for his own purposes. That's what he's saying. You see, this is, this is a specific word. You see that, give no opportunity. You know what that means? It's spatial language. Paul's using this. You should be filled with the Spirit. You should be indwelled. Here's what he's saying. This is, this is stark. He says, when you don't put off these, when you pick these things back up, you create space in the body of Christ for the devil. Serious. By allowing anger to fester and grow, we surrender space to a demonic intruder in the context of the local church. I'm not making this up. Look, turn to Luke 11, verse 24. Listen to this sobering picture that, that the Lord taught us. Luke 11. Luke chapter 11, look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it, when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more than himself. And they who enter and dwell there, the last state of that person is worse than the first. Verse 25. 
Here's what Paul is saying. There's things that we can pick back up that Christ has put off. And when we do, we create space. And the devil knows how to use it. I don't mean to be mean, brothers and sisters. I just simply mean for God's church to deal with his own mess. You go to another town. I'm not talking about this town. Go to somewhere else. Go to another town. Go on vacation and stop in a town. And you're going to find, oftentimes, a first Baptist and a second Baptist. Where did second Baptist start from? From anger, misplaced, selfishness, and greed, or from the mission of God? You see, repentance belongs in the house of God today. Because us not dealing with our sin creates space and the devil gladly uses it. So what else? Look at verse 28. Now I didn't put this here. It's just here. Here's what life in community is supposed to look like. It looks like cultivating hard work. I'm sorry, you don't like to work hard, it's just here. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with, who, with what? His own hands. This is what life together looks like. It looks like cultivating hard work and killing laziness. You don't go out here to the world right now. Let's deal with us. If you sit in a community and make others work, so that you can take what you didn't earn, what is that called? That's what he's saying. You say, well, pastor, aren't we supposed to be off on Sunday? No! You're not off on Sunday. God gives you a job to do, and we come in here and serve each other as we work for our God. That's what we all do. I was thinking about that last night, of how we started. Do you know when we started that all our church was in a trailer? And that people got up at 6.30 every Sunday morning and set our church up? Before God provided this wonderful building, He provided a trailer and a building we rented. We set it up for two years. Guys showed up and did that. And now we show up and do production. And people work. People are teaching our children right now. God gives us hard work. Why? You see, there's a, there's a reason here, and I wonder if any of us have ever thought about it. Why do you, should you live on a budget? Our growth group's studying that right now. Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. Why are we doing that? So that I can amass wealth, pursue the American dream? No, you see, that's what they do. Why do I work hard? Why must I just destroy laziness? Well, look what it says. So that I might have something to share with anyone in need. That's clear, isn't it? That's why you work hard. That's why you budget your money. That's why we, we practice first fruits here as a church. We don't do it because of a command. We do it because Christ is the object of our affection. And He has determined the church to carry out His mission. This is important. Is your motive for hard work that? This is where it begins, brothers and sisters, when we as a community understand, you see, this is important. I want to say this so I'm not misunderstood this morning. True need that we must help 
is the result of hardship, not laziness. True need is the result of hardship, not laziness. Someone can be working hard and be in need. And there's plenty of us, and it exists at Battleground Community Church right now. People are working hard, they're still in need. What must we do? We must care for them. That's what we must do. And so we have James 127 fund. If you want to give to it, you simply write that on your envelope. It goes into a fund that helps each other. That's how the deacons have funds to do, to, to do that. It's what we have. It's over and above your first fruits. This is what we do. We take care of each other. What else? Look at verse 29. Back to Ephesians 4. What we cultivate is speech, words that construct something. And what we never do, what we kill, is anything that destructs. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that he may give grace to those who hear. We're dealing with inside community here. Now, if you've got a problem telling dirty jokes at your workplace, you've got a big problem. We're dealing with rotten fruit of our mouth that we deal with with each other. That's what that means. Corrupt means filthy. It means rotten. It means it stinks. It's something that you open up in the refrigerator that's been there and you forgot about in the back and you open it up and go, mm. that's, that's the picture here. He's saying, don't pick that back up. It stinks. It's rotten. It should make you gag. Now, I know that many of us have the spiritual gift of constructive criticism. I'm not being critical. I'm being constructive. And that's true. We need to be corrected. I'm the worst of anybody. That's why we live in community. That's why we have plurality in all of our leadership. Because we need constructive to be corrected. But that's not a spiritual gift. That's your arrogance. So, so can I give you just a tip? This is not the Bible. This is just... Can't get over here because Mike won't be able to pick me up. Give three positives for every constructive criticism you give. In other words, what he's saying, the priority of our life is to speak in a way that builds people up. We build them up at different times, at different places. That's what he's saying. Every occasion has an opportunity. Why? Because we want to give grace. Why do I want to be giving, give grace? Because I'm giving so much grace. It just overflows out of me. So think of it this way, that you should be concerned about my ministry and I should be concerned about your ministry, your area of service to God and my grace in my mouth given to you is fertilizer for your ministry. When I speak grace to you, it builds you up so that you can be more effective in the serving the Lord. I cannot... Express how important verse 30 is for you to understand. As much as I want you to understand that you should never give, we should never give opportunity or space to the evil one by picking up things that Christ has put off. Verse 30 needs our attention. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. How can you grieve the Holy Spirit because right here it says that we can. Well, grieve means to be sad. 
means to be unhappy. It means to be in distress. It is present active. He's saying don't do it right now and don't keep on doing it. Don't. I love the New Living Translation here. It brings some clarity. By the way, you study the Bible oftentimes and use a, two different translations and it can help you. This is the New Living Translation. It says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. That's clear, isn't it? It's like, man, that's good. That's what he's saying. How we treat each other, listen, either brings joy to the Holy Spirit that's in you or grieves Him. Makes him sorrowful. Unholy behavior deeply hurts the Holy Spirit. Rotten talk, breaking trust, being lazy, holding on to anger, fostering unforgiveness, not only makes for an unhealthy biblical community, it grieves the Holy Spirit. These are the things that create space for the evil one to work in our church and in our lives. And grieves the very Spirit of God that saved your soul. See here, you learn this Trinitarian truth here. It's right here. He's not, a, he's not a force. The Holy Spirit's not a force. He's not a power. He's a person that can be sinned against and grieved. Good news this morning. Paul's not motivating him. He's not saying... You better start acting better or the Holy Spirit's going to leave you. Is that what he says? No. He says, listen, don't bring him to sorrow. For he is the very one who sealed you to the day of redemption. He's not going to leave you. So he goes right back into verse 31 and 32. He says, so don't put this back on, brothers and sisters. Don't put on bitterness. Don't put on wrath. Don't put back on anger. Don't put back on clamor. Don't slander. Don't put back on slandering each other. Put it all away from you. So think about this space. Here's what we should fill the space of God's church with. Here's what you should fill the space of your mind with. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. That's mercy. Forgiving one another. Why? Because Christ forgave you. 1 John 3.10 Remember, 1 John is written so that we can know we're saved. It's the purpose. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. You see, there's only two kinds of children. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So what are the children of God characterized by? How we live in practical righteousness and how we love each other. So the question this morning is, do you love the Lord? I know we would all answer the question the same way. Yes, I love the Lord. And here's what 1 John 3, 1 John 4 says the same thing. Then love His people. What are some takeaways today? Just a question. Am I treating people like Christ treated me? Am I treating people? By people, I first mean the community of faith. 
the way Christ treated me. You're still in 1 John. Flip over to chapter 4. There's so much in 1 John about, about love. That's his, that's his theme, that we are characterized by love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love, does not know God because God is love. In, in this the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation, a wrath-removing substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Listen, if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. You see the us? The us in First John is the you in Ephesians. It's the God's people called by His name. So what are some things that you and I can practically do daily to treat each other like Christ? Well, based off this text, me and you need to be reminded on a regular basis of who I was and who Christ is, who I am now because of Him. I need to be, in other words, Roger needs to remind me of that. And you see, he can't do it if me and him are not sharing life together. Does that make sense? This is practical. Keep getting out of my box. This is very practical. In order for me to be obedient to what Christ is telling me this morning, I've got to be around you and you've got to be around me. It's not just on me as the pastor to create. We started growth groups to simply give you a target audience of people you should be living life with. Have you ever run into someone from high school? You've never done that before because I know everybody was the, the best people in the world in high school. I just happen to not be one of those guys. Wasn't the best guy in high school. And every once in a while I'll run into somebody I went to high school with. You're like, oh my goodness. He's going to find out that I'm a pastor. You know, he went to 11th and 12th grade with me. Don't run from that. That's who you were. But that's not who you are. You see, I'm not supposed to forget that. I'm supposed to remember that God showered His grace on me. Changed my identity. He forgives me for that. And now I remember it, yes, but I only remembered His grace in I'm not bringing it up to you, your past, because Christ has forgiven it, because Christ does not bring it up to me. We need to remind each other that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you every time you blow it. He sealed you. He's with you. He loves you. How do you know? Because He's given you me. I give you not only the gospel, but my very life. This is how we can practically do it. We just let people know in the midst of their suffering, they're not alone. How do you know? Because I'm here. 
And listen, not everybody needs to be preached the gospel to when they're suffering. Sometimes they just need you to be there and shut up. Just be there. Sometimes they just need you to bless them in some kind of tangible way. Not because they need it, but because you want to show them that you love them. Brothers and sisters, this is not complicated. This takes priority. Before I close, I wish I could step over there, but I can't. little sidebar. I want you, talking about this yesterday as, as some of the leaders met, I want you to ask a question. And this is an individual question to start with. Are you allowing the devil to fill your life up with good things, to rob you of the best thing? The devil just doesn't fill your life up with drugs and addiction and all this. He very well assume you fill it up with really good things. Hear me today. Not in my notes. I'm afraid we're teaching a generation that they don't need the church. You got me. We take them to all their activities and busy their whole life up. And if we do not prioritize life together and modeling with our children, they will grow up to become adults that need not Christ nor His church. Brothers and sisters, this is what you can do. You need to treat your own family like Christ. You need to treat each other like Christ. And we must be with each other to do it. John 13.35 says this, and we'll close. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you agape, if you have agape, one for another. If you have a chosen, sacrificial unconditional desire to provide and protect for each other. What he's saying. Then the, then the world around us will go, my goodness, look at that. See, that's what prosperity cannot buy you and education cannot give you. Christ gives you himself. He gives you a family. And it is in this family that we are living out our Christ-likeness with each other to a watching world. Let's pray. So God, every time your word is preached, your word demands a response. And that response is best shown through repentance. It means I will put off one way and walk another. So, Lord, I just pray today that in me, this already has, and, Lord, that it would be even more that you would bring repentance to us as a people. That I'm living isolated lives because I am spiritually lazy. Hard work to do, community. God, oh, help us to work hard to prioritize our life not around ourselves. And so God, part of our response now is to stand to our feet and sing 
to be reminded one more time, Lord. You have a good father, good brother, and a powerful Holy Spirit who loves his people. So God, would you produce the joy of the Holy Spirit now as he gets joy God is in us. It's joy when we worship. So God, be magnified tonight. We glorify you in the song.